Sin acknowledges and pays respects to the traditional owners and elders, past, present and emerging, of the land in which we write, record and produce this podcast, the Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. Engineers Assemble also acknowledges and pays respects to the traditional owners of the land in which our content reaches, as well as the radio stations we broadcast from across the country. Sovereignty was never ceded. Hey guys, welcome to the Engineers Assemble. My name is Ankit. This is the first episode of Engineers Assemble. The guest of my first episode is Alex Kingsbury. Alex is known for her contribution to Australian additive manufacturing industry. She was a part of CSA IRO, where she led a team of young engineers. Right now, she is working with RMIT as an industry fellow. Hi Alex, how are you? I'm good, thanks, thank you. So you started your career from RMIT University and uh, then you went to CSIRO and then you went to uh, many other organizations and then you came back to RMIT again after a decade. So how was your journey so far? Yeah, that's that's um, that's true. I'm back at RMIT where I started. Um, so I did a Bachelor of Engineering um, and majored in Chemical Engineering um, in Metals Processing. So um, my journey into 3D printing has been perhaps a little bit, bit different than most people because most people tend to do more mechanical engineering, material science. Um, and really where I started was in the metals processing side. Um, and I uh, had some time as a consulting engineer um, in my early um, career as a graduate. And then I moved to CSIRO. And at CSIRO, we were doing a lot of processing of light metals, um, so in particular in titanium. And um, in, in we were doing titanium processing, but different ways of processing titanium and titanium powders. Um, this was back in uh, 2011. Um, so naturally, that lends itself to additive manufacturing or metal additive manufacturing. Okay. Uh, can you tell me a bit about, uh, about your processing thing? What kind of processes you go through for titanium? Yeah, sure. Uh, so we were doing, um, it's called like an extractive metallurgy technique, um, and it's making titanium a different way than what you would normally make it. Um, so normally making titanium is a really energy-intensive batch process, mm -hmm. um, and we were uh, working out new ways of making titanium that were continuous um, and much less energy-intensive. And um, also importantly, the end result was a powder, uh, not a billet. Uh, you are also part of additive economics. Uh, what exactly is that? So additive economics was uh, is is my business, and I founded it after I left CSIRO. Um, and what I do, it's it's consulting in additive manufacturing, and it looks um, or I look at uh, on behalf of my clients um, a number of different things. Um, a lot of the time that uh, focuses on things like um, market research, market analysis, um, but also extends into consulting in, um, in, in new and emerging technologies um, and around commercialisation pathways. Uh, so really when I was at CSIRO, that was um, the expertise I was able to develop there uh, in working with metal um, additive manufacturing. I, I guess I developed up enough expertise and enough networks to then launch myself as a, an independent consultant. Okay. 
what are your duties with RMIT? Yeah, so at RMIT, I started uh, just last year and I'm an industry fellow and uh, we have a couple of industry fellows here at RMIT, or quite a number actually, um, but quite a few just within um, manufacturing. Um, and the role of the industry fellow is really around connecting, better connecting the university into industry. So obviously we're graduating vast numbers of students every year and um, the more experience and contact with industry or people from industry, uh, they can have the better because they'll be better prepared graduates. And um, industry fellows play a, a big and important role, particularly in student projects, so capstone projects and um, final year theses. Yes. In uh, in just really making sure that the the problems that our students are looking into are um, industry problems. So it gives them a bit of a taste of what are the kinds of problems industry are facing, and and often those projects are the first experience that a student might have had of industry, um, particularly if they haven't had an opportunity to, you know, do an internship or a placement in a workplace. Yeah. So it's a nice way to get experience from that. Yeah, 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 that's right. And it's actually a really good way as a student of putting yourself in front of a potential employer. Yeah. Um, and from a potential employer's point of view, it's a really good way of um, sifting through graduates who yes. might like to hire. Yeah. Definitely a great thing to put on your resume. So the university is very proactive in wanting um, lots of these industry-sponsored um, re- uh, final year projects yep. for the students to do. Um, the benefits definitely go both ways. Uh, you know, obviously we've talked a lot about the benefits to the student in getting that real world experience, but also the benefits to the um, to the industry partner are um, they get to have a problem that they can throw at a group of you know bright young students who have a fresh approach and yeah. you know uh, all their trainings up to date. Um, and they can get perhaps you know some different approaches to problems that they might not have been able to solve or don't have the resources or the you know just the time. I think um, yeah, it, each bring to the table different things, yep. right? Yeah. Um, old men and women will bring their depth of experience, their knowledge, their expertise, yep. um, and and younger people can bring in. Um, like I said, that that um, you know, latest and up to date training, um, but also fresh eyes, a fresh approach, and and that's actually why it's really important to have, um, you know, age diversity in our yes. teams. Um, it's really healthy. It's a healthy way of just fact checking each other, and yeah. the and the benefits always go both ways. You are also part of a global organization called Women in 3D Printing. So, what's exactly are their goal and how this organization works? Yeah, sure. So, uh, Women in 3D Printing um, founded over five years ago yes. now, um, and and it started as um, a pretty small enterprise, really. With I would say probably goals that have been far surpassed ever yeah. since it started. Um, so initially, um, Nora, the founder, just wanted to profile a couple of women in 3D printing who she knew mm-hmm. um, and thought it would be a really great way of um, promoting uh, these women and their expertise and giving them a bit of a profile. Uh, and, and it's really grown a lot since then. Yes. So um, it's definitely a global organisation now. Yeah. Um, and there are we have chapters, what we call chapters, in um, lots of major cities all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Australia in particular, we have um, a chapter in Melbourne, we have a chapter in Sydney and one in Brisbane. 
um, hoping to start one in Darwin too. Okay. So I've been hassling them out there as well. Um, but yeah, look, and Australia is just indicative of uh, where loads of other countries are around the world with regards to having chapters set up for women yeah. 3D printing. So Nora's continued to do that work um, around profiling and interviewing women in 3D printing. Mm-hmm. Um, and she puts those um, interviews up on the Women in 3D Printing um, oh, website. website yep. Yeah, and um, uh, but but also um, another um, part of Women in 3D Printing that's been really active is these meetups. So every month, um, Nora really encourages us every month to um, schedule a meetup in our chapters. Um, I'm the Melbourne ambassador, so it's my job to organise all of those catch-ups. Um, yeah, and and host a, a monthly sort of get together, and those get togethers can be anything as informal as just catching up for drinks for you know one or two hours, saying hello, um, yeah. you know, right through to um, you know sometimes some chapters like to organise panels of women to talk on a particular topic. They'll organise an event. Um, they'll have a, a show and tell session um, where a particular woman has you know say expertise in a certain area, and so we'll. Come and bring and share that expertise with the others. Um, so there's lots of different activities that go on. Um, and the organisation itself has just gotten um, a, a non, not-for-profit charitable status as well. It means it accepts donations um, mm-hmm. and it, and it um, is also very open to sponsorships okay. as well. It's, it's, uh, it's not a funded organisation as far as mm-hmm. um, it doesn't generate its own revenue. It relies solely on um, sponsorships to keep going and volunteer effort, of course. Okay. So uh, does this organization work with younger children? Oh, that's a good question. Um, not to my knowledge. No, it's more about of a um, support group for professional women. Okay. Um, yeah, professional women, or, you know, and I mean, really, it's it's not just for women who work in the 3D printing industry. Industry, okay. Um, it's also for people who are, um, you know, hobbyists, enthusiasts, yeah. you know, just like to do it at home in their own spare time. Yeah. Um, you know, for for people who are interested in um, moving into three D printing, so they may may not be in the industry now, but they're they're keen to move into it. Um, you know, or other other women in other professions that um, service the three D printing industry. You okay, know, like uh, like a lawyer, for example. Okay. Right? <laughs> okay. Um, I never imagined that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, you know, or someone in marketing. You know, ah, okay. As well, who might you know work um, work in the industry or, or? So it is not necessary uh, to be an engineer to part of this organization. Correct. Yes. Okay. No. It's yeah. definitely not limited to engineers mm-hmm. only. Um, and on that note, it's also not women limited to women okay. only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it is written as women in three D printing, so everybody might think that it is just limited to women. Yeah, um, that's right. Uh, which you know is is understandable um, that you know it's called women in three D printing. So yes, it's it's for women, but actually it's more about a group in a space yep. to meet up hmm. um, that's supportive and encouraging of women in three D printing. So as long as you are encouraging and supportive of women in three D printing, yes. which I believe most people are, um, then you're most welcome to attend. It's it's an open event, um, and uh, yeah, I, I'd encourage all the guys out there not to be put off by the name and. And, and come along and, you know, you'd be really amazed at the kinds of people that comes to these events, um, you know, come from... I, I've met so many um, different people just by having... Um, establishing the Melbourne chapter, yep. right? So yeah. I thought when I started it, I'd have maybe one or two people, 
you know, other women that I knew that might want to come along. Um, but I thought I'd just give it a go and see who else was out there. Yeah, and, and now yeah. It's, a, it's a huge group for you, yeah. It's yeah, well and I, and I've had a lot of different um a lot of different people come. Yeah. Um and you know, quite a few um you know, for example, hobbyists that are just really interested in 3D mm-hmm. printing coming along. And I love hearing their perspectives on things because, you know, my pathway to 3D printing has been very different to theirs. Yes. Um, I haven't spent much time working with polymers, for example, in general. Yes. You know, so just hearing about their experiences with, with um, the polymer, polymer materials yeah. um, is really great, not to mention all the products that they make, which are very different to the kinds of um, products that I might yes. get involved with, yes. you know, much more on the industrial and the commercial end whereas um yeah the products that they're making are you know really interesting um and very fun things like yep. you know cosplay outfits and yes. yeah and also jewelry is <laughs> yeah exactly so it is just about a monthly meetup uh you you, uh, you guys go somewhere else like uh any in any industry or you organize some seminar or those stuff so um, yeah, around around the world, there's like I said, lots of different things, activities happen. As far as the Melbourne chapter goes, um, we're just a little over one year old, um, so still pretty early days as far as establishing um, the chapter and also getting, I guess, a bit of a loyal following as well. Um, you know, working out who my regulars are and yeah. who my sometimes attends are and yeah. um, and all of that, and also working out what it is that they want and how they'd like to spend that time. And so I've been, I have been spending a bit of time with um, all the people that come and just asking them what do you want to see out of these things you know yeah. happy to just keep it at drinks we will this year be uh doing trying to incorporate a little bit more um site visits I okay think. so yeah. yeah i think that's just a great opportunity um while we're while we're establishing um in just being able to you know ask a site to say would you mind opening up your site just for yeah. one or two hours um you know showing us your lab showing us your factory Factories, um, yeah. so for example we went to speed 3d last yeah. year yeah hmm. um and that was uh, back in December, I think. Um, uh, no, it was in It November. was in October, November? Yeah, October, November, yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I was not a part of that because uh, I went for a marshalling, yeah. Thank you for keeping me on track. <laughs> <laughs> so we we went to Speed 3D um, and that was, yeah, just a really great opportunity to get inside um, their factory and see what it is that they're doing. So being able to talk to their staff about the kinds of work that they're doing um, you know where they uh, see their their markets and the kinds of materials that they're using um, the journey that they've had from you know first establishing the company till now um, it, it, it was a very interesting we also got to see um, one of their larger machines before it um, was put onto a shipping container sent yeah. off to Germany so um, so that was really really great opportunity so was it that uh, speed 3d cell yeah, uh, it, it, yeah so this the cell is um, um, is sort of three unit operations yep. in one, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that was the warp speed, which is okay. their larger format machine, yes. um, which is you know very exciting. Um, and and that particular one went to fit um, fit AG in uh, in Germany. Yeah, in yeah. Formnext. So yeah. it went to Formnext and then went to fit. Yeah. So uh, how, how can anyone join these uh, meetups? Or- uh, your organization? Yeah, sure. Well, it's really easy. You just show up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is it nine tenths of life is showing up? Just turn up. Yeah. Um, 
it's it'd be really great if um, so if anyone wants to attend any of the women in 3D printing events mm-hmm. um, go to the women in 3D printing website that will be able to show you where your local chapter is um, and then from there you, you'll be directed over to the events page um, yep. and we really try and recommend that people buy a ticket um, through Eventbrite for our events, um, they're free, so yeah. they're, they're completely free. You don't have to pay for them. But if you've um, registered, then the organizer knows um, to expect you, and and also might you know need to say contact you in the lead up to the event. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely buy a ticket beforehand. But yeah. So for Melbourne, you can uh, you can book your tickets through Eventbrite. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I think I think if you search like three D printing women in 3D printing Melbourne, uh, something like that, it'll come up. Yeah, or you can just uh, search WI3DP. It will come up with that. Yeah. Will it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, thank <Ankit. laughs> you. Yeah. So uh, let's, uh, let's go towards the technical stuff. So what do you think the major challenge is for 3D printing to become a large-scale manufacturing technique? Okay, so when you say large-scale, do you mean big products or do you mean big bigger market share? Uh, bigger market share. And uh, is it possible that uh, 3D printing can replace uh, uh, casting or CNC manufacturing? Mm, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So there's there's still a number of challenges um, there. Uh, and and look, I think as far as it replacing other uh, types of manufacturing technologies, um, I would say no. Uh, you know, it's not going to replace um, wholesale other types of manufacturing okay. technologies. Um, It will, as a technology, though, start to overtake um, other, you know, take take a little bit of market share from those technologies though. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I like to view additive manufacturing is um, it's a manufacturing tool. Um, and and I think that when you can view it like that, it really takes the hype out of, of what 3D printing is yeah. and all it's been hyped up to be um, because that's actually exactly what it is. It's just a manufacturing tool Ooh, yep. and it's a new tool that we have and, and we should view it like that. So with any new tool, we need to understand what the design rules are. We need to understand um, the manufacturability constraints. Yep. Um, we need to understand what materials we can use with that tool. Um, and and we also um, need to understand, you know, where it works really well um, mm. and where it doesn't work well, where yeah. we should use something else. Something else, yep. Um, so, so use it where it, where it makes sense. Yeah. Um, what I suppose your question was around what's stopping it from, you know, I guess growing in market share. Um, I think at the at so to date we've had laser powder bed fusion has been really the predominant yes. um, AM modality, yeah. we call it, right? So and, uh, major startups are using uh, focused on that technology, like. Yeah. Uh, like if we're talking uh, in uh, uh, in Australia, it's, uh, if we go through Bastion or Aurora Labs or Conflux, they are mostly fo- focused on powder bed fusion. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so laser powder bed fusion, um, uh, if we want to talk just on the metals side, um, it's it's been, uh, I mean, it is a very powerful um, you know, AM modality. Uh, as far as what's the adoption, um, it would be speed and cost, yeah. um, and those two things are related, right? Yeah. So if we can increase the speed of our machine, we make them more productive, um, and then that means we're um, lowering our depreciation cost, right? Yep. So um, laser powder bed fusion machines are they're big, expensive machines, like very expensive. Yes. Um, and if we're not producing enough 
bits of, you know, parts or whatever yeah. they are off those machines, then we end up with a very high um, capital depreciation cost um, per part. Yeah. So if we can increase the number of parts we're making, then we're going to lower that depreciation cost. Um, so so that's really the, the biggest challenge with laser powder bed. There are some issues around, um, which I think that the, the research community and the industry are working really hard and have made a lot of progress um, in addressing. But, you know, issues around quality assurance. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, we're still really working hard to understand exactly what happens in the powder bed yeah. um, as we're processing the material, um, how it works, um, and, and our quality assurance uh, techniques and tools are pretty data intensive at the moment. Um, and uh, we, we haven't gotten to a point where, say, like ordinary manufacturing tools, where we can say... Um, make 10 and, and inspect every 10th part that we make, right? Yep. Or if, so, let's say we made 100, we'd inspect every 10. Um, we're still at a point where we're inspecting every one. Every one, yeah. Um, and that's not really a sustainable model for um, commercial production. Yes. Uh, so that's definitely a bit of an issue that we're, mm -hmm. you know, the, the industry and the research community is working to yes. address. But we've made a lot of progress, I think. Yep. So, uh, what do you think? Which are the major industry which are going to be benefited by three D printing? Like, for if you ask me, I will uh, I will say that it's a uh, motorsports, Formula One, <laughs> yeah. then uh, uh, then space exploration. Those kind of things will uh, will take a major advantage of three D printing. Yeah. So um, certainly. Uh, additive is great for motorsports. Yeah. Um, it's a low volume type of market. It's yep. high performance, um, not not hugely cost sensitive, yes. you know, or not as cost sensitive as other industries. Um, and 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 same goes with the space industry as well. Um, I think though space is going to be an interesting huh, space, <laughs> pardon the pun, <laughs> yeah. um, because we are really in a phase of commercialising space. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's really, really, you know, the the change of pace there is rapid, and I think we're going to see as a result um, the manufacturing. Um, side of space changing actually um, yes. in response to that, um, and I think I think that you know longer term that probably means less opportunity for additive manufacturing because we're, it's going to turn more into a mass manufacturing yeah, um, yeah type um, industry. Uh, but that's not to say that additive can't service mass manufacturing um, if we look sort of 10, 20 years down in the future. Yes. Um, so I've talked about laser powder bed fusion. There are other modalities of yep. AM that um, make a lot of sense for commercial production. Um, and, you know, and, and laser powder bed fusion will, will become more commercial too you yes. know, over over time, I have no doubt. Um, as far as what are the really great industries for, for additive, I think, I mean, if we look at what we've seen to date, um, really um, medical has been um, a, a fantastic uh, industry for, for additive manufacturing. Yes. Um, it's a big user of titanium. Um, titanium is great in additive manufacturing. Yeah, uh, we can process part, it very yeah. easy and traditional manufacturing struggles with ti processing titanium. Titanium, yes. And they are also using uh, polymers. And yeah, yeah, they're using polymers as well. Exactly. Mm. Sorry, I, I tend to be a bit metal um, focused, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> metal centric. Yes, um, 
And yeah, so so medical is a great area and uh, we're already seeing some true sort of, um, you know, production in AM in yes. medical. Um, aerospace is the most obvious other industry as well. Um, and there is the work going on there in terms of getting a qualification and certification processes in place is, is enormous and not to be underestimated. And I think the difference between medical and aerospace is that we're hearing more about medical in the media. Um, yes. And that's really just because of uh, aerospace industry tends to be a little bit more closed off uh, with regards to their you know, yep. development. Um, and um, yeah, but, but we will see a, a vast number of applications coming out of aerospace uh, sort of within the next five years for yeah. sure. And uh, one more question about that is that uh, we have seen some downward trends in uh, Australian stock exchange for newly formed uh, 3D printing companies. Mm-hmm. Can you just explain that? Why does, uh, why does it happen? Okay, so um, for our ASX, we have, uh, we have Aurora Labs and we have Titanic. Yep. Um, and we have, I'm going to forget their name, Triple 3D as well. I'm not um, sure. Another yeah. one? Uh, I know Titanic and Aurora are there. Yeah. But they are not, uh, the trends are downwards from past few months. Yeah. Now we've also got Aurora. Uh, sorry, Aurora, Amero, Amero. Yeah, Amero. Um, who have not had a downwards trend. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But they're a little bit but more newly yeah. listed. Yes. They are um, just listed in December, maybe? Uh, yeah, just yes. listed on early in early December. Yeah. Um, and. So, and I think that's probably a little bit telling. So, our, our latest listing on the ASX um, hasn't had a downwards trend, um, but our other two listings on the ASX uh, have. Um, I have to say that you know, I mean, Totomic in particular, uh, from its from its IPO, yep. um, is still ahead. Uh, it's just gone sort of right up, and then you know, sort of, I guess, had a bit of a, a softening. Yes. <laughs> um, and look, the this the stock market is an interesting place. It doesn't necessarily listen to logic, um, <laughs> and um, and I think the challenge that uh, that companies such as Aurora and Titanic have um, is that they are they're, they're really requiring a lot of capital, um, which you know going to the ASX is a great way to raise that capital. It's very easy and straightforward and very transparent. Um, but when you are trying to develop a new technology um, while being a listed company, you're going to have additional challenges or, I guess, be exposed to an additional layer of scrutiny. Um, and and we've seen, you know, big rises and big falls happen with share prices yep. in 3D printing companies um, all around the world. So these two aren't exactly new or, you know, what's happening there isn't unique at all. Um it's just around, I, I think, a settling into a price that's realistic. Um, and, and you know, both of those companies are very dynamic. So they're doing a lot of different things, um, working with, um, yeah, like I said, new technologies. And, uh, and, and where investors sit and what they think and their level of education around the technologies themselves can vary a lot and very wildly and um, suddenly something becomes sort of um, in favour because it's got, you know, a huge amount of excitement built built up around it. Um, All of a sudden you see the share price go up. Um, 
you know, uh, uh, one or two disappointments or a non-delivery yeah. or a little, you know, sort of uh, haven't haven't shown too much revenue to date, and all of a sudden you get investors sort of saying, oh, I went out of this, I'll just get out while the going's good. So those sorts of ups and downs are um, bound to happen. I think what's important for companies like Titanic and Aurora is that they just um, need to, you know, really continue to focus on developing the technology with their industrial partners. Um and uh, and creating revenue streams, you know, yep. which is really fundamental to the survival of all businesses yeah. at the end of the day. Um, and and their path to revenue is probably going to be a bit longer than most most other companies, yep. more mature companies on the on the ASX. And uh, about the technical stuff, uh, we, uh, we a lot of the time we hear two different terms. Uh, <laughs> most people like to call it three D printing, and some people like to call it additive manufacturing. Is there any particular difference between those things? Because I have seen some of the people who work in the cold spray industry uh, uh, with the cold spray technique, they they would like to call it additive manufacturing, not 3D printing. And the people who work with the powder bed fusion technology, they would like to call it as a 3D printing thing. So is there any particular difference between that? Um, so my answer is no, no. there's no difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I would use um, the two uh, terms interchangeably. Yeah. Um, and I frequently do. And as I think I already have in this interview. Yeah. Um, and uh, no, so there's, uh, you know, I think I think the commonly held view is that there is no difference between yes. the two terms. Um, and 3D printing is more being the, the media term or the mainstream term. Yep. Um, you know, if you're at the family barbecue on the weekend, someone says, what do you do? I do 3D printing. Yeah. Um, you know, but if you're at your academic conference, let's just say uh, we're all doing additive manufacturing. Okay. Uh, that tends to be the split for me um, okay. is, is what word you might use with what audience. Yes. Uh, is there any uh, any uh, particular research or development you are excited about in the additive manufacturing field? Well, I mean, you mentioned Cosbray, and I think that uh, what's happening there is very exciting. Okay. Um, and um, it's funny, funny, funny you mention additive manufacturing versus 3D printing and, and the definitions because um, as far as our ISO ASTM standards on the definitions of what additive manufacturing actually is, um, cold spray is not listed as a technique. Okay. So there's a number of different techniques, modalities, mm -hmm. um, and cold spray doesn't actually currently fit under uh, under the definition, definition of additive manufacturing. Um, but, you know, that's, that's I think, just because uh, cold spray additive manufacturing is still um, an emerging uh, technology. And yep. I think it's probably just a matter of time before it does get incorporated as, as a, and recognised as an official additive manufacturing uh, technique. Um, but, yeah, so I think that um, cold spray is very exciting. It's very low cost. Yep. Um, so you can, um, you know, you, you can use a number of different gases with cold spray. Uh, you don't have to always use an inert gas. Um, you can use different particle morphologies. So what that means is, you know, if you've got a laser powder bed system, you really need um, a powder that's quite spherical so yep. that it flows nice and easily. Um, cold spray doesn't have that limitation. Yep. Um, it can use um, spherical powder, but it can also use irregular uh, morphology powder. Um, and what that means is that you can access powder for cold spray from different supply chains. Yes. Um, and, and those supply chains tend to be um, more uh, 
your conventional supply chains um, of powders that are made um, in higher volumes and are made more cheaply than spherical yeah. powders. And so they tend to be lower cost powders as well. So you've got a, a potentially a low cost process with also a low cost powder. Oh, yeah. um, and with, with those two variables, you've then got a whole scope opened up in terms of what material you use um, and also how you how you use it, how yeah. you spray it. Uh, so that gives rise to a lot of different applications. And, and it is actually also almost boggling to think about the number of different uh, variables and potential markets and applications, the challenge that Cold Spray has, has had and will have um, for the short term is just in really being able to work with the markets and um, determining what those real, you know, killer applications yeah. are for Cold Spray. Um, so I think that's very exciting. And I think, I mean, we're seeing some really great stuff with, um, you know, wire additive as well. So wire-fed additive, um, which I think is, you know, that that's based on uh, welding principles that are well-known, well-founded. Yep. Um, and we're working, again, with materials from conventional supply chains, so uh -huh. cheaper feedstock okay, yep. um, as well. So you know, the ability um, to use wire to create ninette shapes um, using pretty known, um, you know, robotics, welding heads. These are known components. Yeah. I think uh, one industry from USA uh, also working on that thing, that particular Yeah, thing. there's quite a few. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and quite a few different variations too in terms yep. of what um, thermal source you might use. Mm. Um, yeah, so, but I think that that, that will that will grow in the next five years yes. absolutely and we've got a couple of um, companies around that are working with wire fed yep. processes and we will see more of that in future. Is there any in Australia which is there is yeah mm -hmm. um, there's a company called AML3D okay yeah. um, based in Adelaide and mm. um, and speaking of the ASX they'll be listing shortly okay. so um, yes another one to watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, speaking of cold spray uh, we also have two uh, only two companies working in Australia. It's Speed 3D and Tatomic. Yeah. Or uh, any, any uh, is there any? Um. Yeah. So Ruag has um, okay. cold spray facilities mm -hmm. as well. Um. They use it in house. Um. So you know, I guess unlike Tatomic and Speed 3D, they're not um, selling cold spray okay. technology. Yep. You know, to the marketplace. Um. But certainly Ruag use it as um a, a process for doing repair. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is sort of not technically additive manufacturing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's more of a coding process, yeah. right? So, um, but but they certainly do use it and use it on a commercial basis. Okay. And uh, what are your suggestions for future generation or for students <laughs> <laughs> looking to get into additive yep. manufacturing? Yeah. Um, well, I guess. Um, I guess for starters, uh, if my own experience is anything to go by, uh, there are a lot of different roads, um, you know, into additive manufacturing. Um, you don't, you know, you don't always have to take that conventional pathway yes. in. Um, and uh, whatever pathway I think you choose, um, and I think that this really goes to the heart of additive manufacturing being a multidisciplinary um, field. So, you know, additive manufacturing and benefits from a number of different disciplines. Um, we have very multidisciplinary teams. Um, and, 
and the technical skills can always be improved upon. Yeah. Um, you know, you can always refine and hone your technical skills. Um, it doesn't take much of a leap of the imagination um, to go about adding to your technical skills. Uh, what does require, I think, a concerted effort is um, your teamwork skills. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you're going to be in the field and working with multidisciplinary teams, you need to be, I guess, really honing those skills in communication, you know, um, in, in cooperation, interpersonal skills, leadership skills. Yes. Those, those are uh, really, you know, what will, um, you know, can, can make or break someone's career. Um, if, you, if you're a good team player, then um, you're going to do well really wherever you are. Yeah. <laughs> um, but particularly in this field, given the vast number of different disciplines that come into play, um, I think just having really good communication skills is essential. Okay. Yeah. And uh, talking about uh, technical, uh, technical uh, which should be the focus of technical stuff? Like, it's, <laughs> is it about uh, material metrology or uh, manufacturing techniques or something else? I mean, so, I, you know, my best advice for that is the focus for you should be what you're interested in. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, and uh, there, are, there are lots of different things to do. Um, going back to that idea, it's, multi, it's a multidisciplinary team, yeah. uh, multidisciplinary um, field. Uh, there are lots of different things that you can do as someone wanting to enter the field. Um, what you need to focus in on is the things that excite you, what gets you out of bed in the morning, yeah. um, you know, and what really, um, you know, get, gets you excited and um, wanting to contribute. I think if you can um, really focus in on that, and um, you know, understand yourself, have enough sort of self-reflection and insight into what makes you tick. Yeah, uh, that's the best thing you can do for yourself, yeah. absolutely, because your you know your enthusiasm will come across to others, yep. um, and your passion for for doing that thing that it is that you love doing, um, you know, will be evident, and um, people will then love to work with you, and it, it is really just such a good recipe for success. Yeah, and uh, uh, talking about the students who are actually in the engineering field right now like in masters or in uh, bachelors uh, what areas do you identify as a potential uh, research topic for their like capstone projects or for their master's thesis mm. um well uh i have to say ankit doing what you did um was amazing so you know i think you are a really great example and a great inspiration to other students because you took a huge amount of initiative um and you identified all of the different players around you know Australia yeah. um, who are in the field and you contacted each of them um, you know you were very resourceful uh, you were very persistent <laughs> <laughs> which is a it's needed it's absolutely needed you know people are busy um, yeah. and um, uh, and so as far as you know what what do you what should students research um, getting in touch with companies yeah, and, and understanding what their problems are yep. what a great way to start yeah yep. um, and and so doing something that you I guess that's an industrial industrial problem you know industrial research um, if if uh, as a student if you're wanting to go further in your um, academic career and you wanted to say do a PhD yeah. um, then I think the best thing to do is then look to uh, who are the professors in your university 
university? Um, what are the fields that they're interested in? What are they studying and where are they really leading? And, uh, and, and having a think about those as it relates to you, you and your interests and your skill set. Yep. Um, yeah, and if, if they're not at the university that you're at, you know, the, the, interest, the things that are interesting to you, then you know, look look elsewhere at yeah. other universities. You can always try to other universities. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they mostly come to RMIT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, So uh, in past three months, I have also tried to contact uh, professors from Latrobe and from uh, Deakin universities as well. Yeah. So you can always try them. It is not. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think you know, you, you really will find that um, if you're a student who is um, you know enthusiastic and passionate about yeah. the area of study um, even if someone and this goes for academia as much as it goes for research even if someone can't help you they will they will always be happy to provide some advice yep. some encouragement and maybe um, you know someone else who might be able to help you yeah yeah and uh, we will end this interview with uh, one last question uh, so uh, right now a lot of students are going to be graduated and they are going through the phase where they are they don't have job and they are struggling to get a job. So uh, have you ever had that kind of uh, phase in your life or uh, to have any advice for those students? Um, I think, are you talking about students wanting to get a job in additive manufacturing? It, any, or uh, generally? In, in, uh, any engineering field. Yeah, okay. Um, so so the thing about life is that, <laughs> is yeah. that, is that you, there will always be disappointments. Yep. Um, there will always be letdowns. There will always be rejections. Um, life won't always go according to plan and it won't always work out. Yeah. Um, and I think that as, as long as you can accept that, um, it's a pretty good starting point in, in just understanding that not everything will work out exactly the way that you wanted it to. Um, but sometimes it works out differently and sometimes it works out even better than what you thought it might yep. as well. You know, sometimes you can be a bit limited by your imagination. Yeah. Um, and and I think that, um, uh, you know, as, as far as like, have I experienced anything like that myself? Of course, you know, of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's easy to, to look at other, if you, you know, if you're a student who's just graduated, struggling to get that first job, that first in into the industry, um, it's really tempting to look at other people who are more senior to you, who are in the industry already and just think, oh, they've got it all worked out. Yeah. You know, they know what they're doing. Um, and, you know, they're, oh, they're so successful. Um, but but the, the reality is, is that, you know, every, every successful person and anyone who's really um, wanting to push the boundaries in their own career and or in their life um, has had multiple disappointments. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, before they got that win, that first job, that, you know, successful making of a deal or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, so, so don't be discouraged by um, rejections or disappointments is, is the most important thing. It happens to everyone. Yeah. And it is a learning experience. Um, try and use it as a learning experience, actually. Yeah. Um, and I think really at the end of the day, what's most important is um, as an individual that you have um, enough internal self-confidence, um, belief in yourself, belief that you have something to add, you know, some value to add yeah. um, to the world. Um, you know, really back yourself. Um, because sometimes the world can be a bit of a cruel place yeah. um, and sometimes there is no one willing to back you other than you um, and if you don't back you, you know, 
who no will, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but but if if you can back yourself, then then all of a sudden you almost become like a magnet for other people wanting yeah. to support you. Um, and I think it's really important to remember. So so doing the work on yourself, I think, particularly as a young graduate, do the work on yourself and understand who you are, what it is um, that's important to you, uh, what you want um, from your career, yeah. where you really want to go, um, what you're good at. Um, and, and, and uh, what you are not good at. <laughs> <laughs> what you can improve upon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Um, so the self-awareness is key. Yeah. And, you know, I say that as a young graduate, it's really important, but it's actually important through your whole career. Yeah. Um, having that self-awareness, mm. understanding where am I good, where am I not so good, where could I improve, where am I going to really add value. If you're not in touch with that, you'll find life continually frustrating yeah. <laughs> because you're not getting what you think you want. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, I like to place it like this. Uh, right now I don't have a job, but I have a nine-to-five job to find a job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, and that's the phase of life that you're in at the moment. Yeah. Thank you, Alex, for joining me and sharing valuable insights of the retail industry. I'm sure it will help many engineers and.